The reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Good morning. It's great to have you with us as we continue to explore our vision and values as a church. My name is James and I've been here for about three years. We believe that God is calling us to thrive for the display of his splendour. And I honestly think that something of what we're reflecting on this morning will help us to get there. Something in God's creativity and orthodoxy. For you see, the rootedness of God's truth, his orthodoxy, can keep us standing firm. And the endlessly expansive creative nature of God can awaken a blossoming and a fruitfulness in us. So let's start with the rootedness of God's orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a funny word that, that means right belief. And scholar George Weigel stresses, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have lethal consequences. Ideas are not intellectual toys. Rich Nathan, author of Both Ands, says, what we believe matters. Truth matters. He goes on, orthodoxy is the idea that certain statements can accurately embody the truth as it is revealed in Christ and the Bible. And that's what we're after, genuine embodied truth as revealed in Christ and the Bible. And I think orthodoxy is a bit like a three-legged stool. Our first leg is about being faithful to scripture, where God is most clearly revealed to us. Think about those eyewitness testimonies to Jesus. What about the accounts of the early church living by the power of the Holy Spirit? Think about the faithfulness of God through the Old Testament with his people. There's also the improbable yet fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament. And how do we hold fast to the promises yet to come that we'll see when God's kingdom comes? 
Our first leg is about being faithful to scripture. Our second orthodoxy leg is about holding to those timeless faith statements, those carefully crafted creeds, to deep doctrine and dogma, and gleaning from that great, like, heritage of Christian tradition and history. The good, but also learning from the bad. And our third leg is about listening to the discerning spirit-led church of today. So we need to construct ourselves on an orthodoxy of these three things. Scripture, tradition, and the body of Christ. And there we will find ourselves sat on a very sturdy stool. There we can find a truth that will set us free from sins, temptations and addictions. We will find a truth that purifies us. We will find a truth that rescues us and protects us from evil. We will find a true light, a true bread, a true vine, an authentic Jesus. Take one leg away from our sense of orthodoxy and we're likely to get out of balance, out of kilter, and perhaps our picture of God could collapse a little. The composer of Faithful One, Brian Dirksen, shared recently on how he feels his faith is constantly undergoing renovation. He penned, you are my rock in times of trouble, all through the storm, you are my rock. And that rock, that foundation has in no way changed but perhaps damp gets into the roof, or we burst a pipe with a nail, or we unknowingly start to knock down one of the weight-bearing walls. Perhaps we might need some renovation. And for you see, this is where creativity is not in conflict with orthodoxy. It's not about relocating away from the rock. It's about renovation. Our Bible reading this morning tells us that in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, in him all things were created. Our solid ground, Christ, our firm foundation stays the same, our Bible stays the same, our creeds stay the same, our salvation, our resurrection stay the same, our Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, Saviour, Father, Lord, hope and greatest companion stays the same. And Paul goes on to say that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, when we create, we are not starting completely from scratch. We are always working with what God has put in our hands. Only he is before all things, the uncreated one, the spark that can form anything out of nothing. And yet in the Garden of Eden with dust, and on a hillside with Jesus' body and blood, God shows us how you can create hope and beauty from any given situation. Let's read again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Swedish film director Ingmar Bergman supposed that without orthodoxy, Without a desire to celebrate God and to root ourselves in who he is, life loses its basic creative drive altogether. Our renovation allows us to stand on that rock and to display the splendour of God in renewed and realigned ways. Where every floor, every door, every window, every chimney, every architectural detail above that ground can point to God. 
The story goes that Michelangelo walked into the Sistine Chapel one day as his assistants were marking out the ceiling and uttered the word, Amplius, just one word. Magnify, make bigger, expand our picture of how great God is. That's what creativity can do. And God's endlessly expansive creative nature awakes a blossoming and a fruitfulness in us that can change the world. As John Tyson describes it, I can live as part of God's creative minority, seeking to partner with him in seeing all things made new. As a creative minority, I can be someone where I won't put my pennies towards businesses who traffic God's children where my vegetables aren't shipped in from Argentina, where I steward what God has given to me and I take those resources and care for them wisely and share them freely, where unnecessary rot and rust are no longer acceptable in my life and my black bin bag is as empty as it can be by the end of two weeks, where I use my voice on social media for good and not to grump or to gossip, where I'm, a pre I'm prepared to say sorry and to see a relationship restored. Erwin Raphael McManus, a pastor of a, brim, a church brimming with creativity, writes, there is no proof of creativity without action. And I know this can be scary to stand out, to be that creative minority, to take risks and risk failure, to get creative and to take a different route from the world around us. McManus goes on, we live in fear of failure, convinced that failure will prove us to be frauds, to make our lives a creative act is to marry ourselves with risk and failure. Henri Matisse is someone who strikes me as deadlocked on being creative no matter what. He once said, creativity takes courage. And when abdominal cancer left, um, left him chair and bed bound, still he continued, creating world famous collages of the most striking colours and shapes. Creativity takes courage. During my time in art college, I felt like the general approach was to be a philosopher, a social commentator, to adopt shock tactics, to conceptualise, to sensationalise. But there were a few of us who were more like artisans, craftsmen, aestheticians, champions of beauty. And we got relatively little encouragement from our tutors. They didn't give us much time because they didn't really value our approach. And I didn't feel trusted and I dreaded the criticism when they'd come round and, and I feared them looking over my shoulder as I was painting. When I was at school, my art teachers were my champions. I felt trusted. I felt a freedom to take risks and not to do the same thing as the other students. I felt celebrated. I even had a few students come up to me and ask me about my work and for some tips, three of us in that class were amongst the highest scoring marks in the country for our fine art A-level. John Lasseter, a founding member of Pixar, is renowned as one of the best storytellers in film of his generation. He was so good at hosting meetings in such a way that the orthodoxy was never lost, that the key themes of the story were never compromised, and yet risks were encouraged and every voice was valued. But still, Pixar spent decades developing this creative culture that's free from fear. And they've made plenty of mistakes along the way, including scrapping months of work on Toy Story 2, laying off the entire team and starting again. 
But God is an infinitely better teacher than John Lasseter or any of my art tutors. He's not made a mistake in enrolling us in his school. And he has been tutoring his children to be creative for millennia. And he trusts us. He isn't in the business of sacking or making anyone redundant. He is at our side when we take those risks. And he sees every detail. He knows what we are working with. All things, as it says in our reading today, are made through him and for him. He guides us, he listens, he reproaches and he celebrates. And it's all for a bigger story. The Bible tells us that our lives are for the display of his splendour and that all nations can see the glory of the King, the light of the Lord through us. So as Paul compels us in verse 22, let's continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have called us. You've enrolled us in your creator's school and you entrust us as servants of your gospel. By your spirit, give us the courage to get creative and to renovate on your solid ground. And I pray for anyone today who is feeling under the pressure of being a creative minority. Lord, that they would know your tutelage, your celebration, your encouragement as they step out. In Jesus' name, amen.